2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 16, it is on the wall in front of you, or you can look in your Bible. I'm going to read 16 and 17. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The general idea of this pair of verses, Paul is talking to, writing to the Corinthian believers. Some of them had known Jesus on the earth, I think that's what he's saying. We have known Christ after the flesh. He, he himself only met Jesus on the road after Jesus had died, was buried, risen again, and ascended back to heaven, and then Paul met him, and that was not what we would usually call after the flesh. But he includes himself in that group because there are perhaps people with him as he writes, or people in his audience he writes to, that did know Jesus in the flesh. And yet he says, but now henceforth know we him no more. It's not how we know him after the flesh. We're going to go there, but I'm reminded about the Jewish teacher and leader Nicodemus that Jesus was talking to in John chapter 3, who plainly did know Jesus after the flesh, but Jesus' message to him was, the flesh isn't adequate. You need spiritual birth and spiritual knowledge to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying, because of the things that came before, when you see wherefore or therefore, you look at what it came before it, and what came before it was the obligation to share the love of Christ because he died and we're still alive. Even if you knew him when he was alive in the flesh, we need to go on and live as though he were the one living our lives for us. Because of that, we're not going to pay any attention to how people are doing after the flesh. Somebody that's wealthy comes into your church service. That's not important. Don't be like the ones that James wrote to that said, here, you sit in this nice soft chair. We'll put that beggar over there in the corner under my footstool. Don't be like that. Don't pay attention to men according to the eyes of the flesh. And then he says in verse 17, something that find, some people find difficult. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I don't think he's changing what he's saying. When you trust Christ as your Savior, you get what Jesus talked to Nicodemus about. You get a new birth, a spiritual birth. John 1.12 says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. We are born of God. This is not the old flesh birth cleaned up. I'm pointing at my, in my tummy here. This is the old flesh birth cleaned up, because I like to clean up before I come to church. But what this verse is about is not what is born of God is the old birth. It's not. It's old. The old is on its way out. You live in it for a while, but that's not the spiritual birth. The being in Christ, the man in Christ, is altogether new. God doesn't take what Adam and Eve and mom and dad gave us and make it into something better. He gives you a new, entirely new birth. And the phrase, old things are passed away, I think is best understood and best explained if you can remember this phrase. That's God's point of view. 
when God looks at a person who is a believer in Christ, he doesn't see the old anymore. He's not paying attention to the flesh, and Paul is saying we don't want to pay attention to the flesh anymore either. Old things are passed away. Now, in our experience, in our daily living, you might have noticed that the flesh is not completely gone, right? Occasionally, more than we'd wish, there are old things in our lives. I, I uh, was an eager driver in the parking lot this morning. Here comes Robert's wife walking up the parking lot from the back building, and there's two cars with a spot between them that I'm going to park in that spot, and I right in front of her. Immediately, my wife apologized to her, <laughs> which was probably appropriate. That wasn't Bob in the spirit. That was Bob in the flesh driving the way Bob shouldn't. <clears throat> so I still notice the flesh, and that's not the worst of it, but that was bad this morning. All things are become new. From God's point of view and in the truth, the way we ought to reckon it, the only thing we need to pay attention to is the new birth. You know, stifle the old birth. We're going to talk about this whole concept a bit more this morning. The old and the new. We used to know Christ after the flesh. We are still walking around in the flesh. We're going to see that. But the truth, the reality, the eternal thing, is that God sees us in Christ, altogether new. The old, from God's perspective, not, remember the song, what sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. From the book of life, they've all been torn out. I don't remember them anymore. God's point of view. If you can remember that, that'll help you if you have to explain that verse to somebody. Too many people take this verse and say, here's a test to see whether or not you're really saved. Have you stopped all the old? Wait, wait that's not what this verse is about. This is not a test of your salvation. This really and truly is the way God sees us in Christ. Old things passed away, all things become new. If you have a copy of the notes, I wrote this in the notes. A new outlook, spiritual, not carnal, not after the flesh. The old is dead. Reckon it so. Reckon yourselves alive unto God. And we covered that passage in Romans last Sunday, as I recall. Now we're going to go over to John chapter 3 and review this business that Jesus said to Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, starting in verse 3, Nicodemus has come to him full of compliments. I think Nicodemus probably had already believed that Jesus was the Christ. And you say, why do you believe that? Because in the very end of chapter 2, John records this. The very end of chapter 2, sorry. When he was at, in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. That's what comes right at the end of chapter 2 before chapter 3. And in chapter 3 it says, there's Nicodemus, a, a man of the Pharisees. That's the very, very righteous people. A ruler of the Jews. He's a, t a master teacher. And he came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. What was the business at the end of chapter 2? People saw the miracles which he did, and they, many of them believed in him. Nicodemus comes referring to those miracles and saying, God's with you. You're the teacher come from God. 
So all's, that's why I think Nicodemus might have already believed in Jesus, that he's the one from God that they were expecting. It's what he said, and yet Jesus gives him this further instruction Truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is confused. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? If he could, that would be a second time being born of the flesh. Mama's involved. Jesus said, I'm not talking about that. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I think he's using the water to refer to the spiritual birth, not the natural birth. That which is born of the flesh, that's mom, is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. You must be born again. When we taught through the Gospel of John, we were marked on this word again that is used in verse 3 and in verse 7. is a word in the Greek language that does mean again, but it just as much means from above. And he's referring to the spiritual birth. And then he refers to the wind in verse 8 as an emblem of the spirit. The, the breath, the wind, the spirit, those are all different ways to translate the same Greek word pneuma, the wind. So he says there's got to be a spiritual beginning. It doesn't matter how old you are in the flesh, you need a new birth. In chapter 1 of John's Gospel, back on page 1115, we recited this already this morning, but in chapter 1, he says, As many as received him, verse 12, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. He gave them the authority to become the sons of God. It gave, that's their privilege. When they receive him, the ones that believe in his name, they become, by God's own authority, sons of God. And verse 13 says, this is what that means. They're born... They're born not of blood, doesn't mean you're of the royal family, uh, you know, Charles's children, nor the will of the flesh. Daddy said, well, Mama, we're going to have children. No, nor of the will of man, God, born of God, born of God. An amazing thing. In Romans chapter 7, we'll jump over to Romans for a second, Paul starts to talk about his flesh. He has been born of God for many, many years when he writes this testimony here. And he's talking about the failures in his choices that he makes. In, in uh, verse 15, he says, that which I do, I allow not. What I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. He's saying the flesh is kicking itself up. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Then it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. That's how he's referring to his old flesh nature. Verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. To will, to, to want to choose to do right is present with me. And how to perform that which is good, I find not. Paul says, that's my testimony, that's my point of view, that's my experience. It's not God's point of view. God's point of view is the old is done, the new is everything. In the very next chapter, in the very next chapter, Romans chapter 8, down at verse 5, Paul describes the difference between being lost 
and being saved. Those that only have the flesh, they that are after the flesh, not saying you're you living with your flesh, but those that only have the flesh birth, they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 6 says, To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You should know the word flesh and the word carnally are the same word, one an adverb and one a noun, but the same word. We still talk about chili con carne, chili with meat, right? You like chili with meat or you just like chili with beans? But we talk about carnivals. Carnivals are, sorry guys, flesh festivals. That's where you go to please the flesh. Paul says to be fleshly minded, carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. And then he says in verse 8, the carnal mind, that old flesh birth, the best of it, it's enmity against God. The carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Lost people can't please God. How futile all of these so-called evangelistic efforts of people that teach a gospel of salvation by works. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. The carnal mind, that's all they've got if they're not spiritually born, The carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. When you ask a lost person, how do you get to heaven? And they come back with, "Uh, you keep the Ten Commandments. Well, the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, and it can't be. If they knew what the Ten Commandments were, and they tried their hardest to keep them, they'd still not be pleasing to God. They that are in the flesh, lost people that have only a flesh birth, cannot please God. But then he rolls on to verse 9. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. If any man have not the Spirit of God, he's none of his. Every person, when they believe in Jesus as their Savior, receives God's Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit of Christ, if you have believed. It doesn't feel like anything... I, I, don't, I remember the moment that I got saved. Didn't feel any different afterwards. Just knew something different. Knew that I had eternal life because I was in the group that believed in the name of the Son of God. But the lost person, like I was a moment before, couldn't please God, but I was no longer in the flesh, but I was in the Spirit. I had been born by the authority of God into the, into the spiritual birth, became a child of God, and the Spirit of God dwelt in me, and the flesh was just a passenger, just really the body in which I was living in. It was still going to bother me, but I was now His. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Uh, Well, we've, we've gone far enough in Romans... Let's shift over to 1 Corinthians. We're reading in 2 Corinthians, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, page 1214, to the church, he's writing the second letter that we're studying. He wrote earlier to them, their believers. He says, I, brethren, this is verse 1, I, brethren, he's talking to people, his brothers and sisters in Christ, other people with the spiritual birth. I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. 
but as unto carnal. What, what? I thought you said you weren't carnal if you were born in the God. You know, you still have that old birth from mom and dad. As Paul described in Romans chapter 7, we looked at, you still got the old. From God's point of view, it's gone, but from your point of view, you're still living in it. And carnal here, Paul says, means even though you have a spiritual birth, you're like babies, babes in Christ. And that doesn't mean you look beautiful to him. That means you're not mature yet. He says in verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with meat because you're a baby. Hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able because you are still carnal. He says, how do I know you're carnal? Well, you envy and you have strife and divisions. You're walking just like lost people. And he goes on to describe their poor manner of life, feeding their carnality there in Corinth. In Galatians chapter 2, on page 1243, he picks up this idea about the carnality that he has to live with, the flesh that he lives with. He says, I am crucified with Christ. He'd figured that great truth out. When Christ died, in the point of view of God, everybody died in him. His sins paid for because they've died. And he says, but now my point of view, nevertheless, I live. Still kicking around here. God sees me died in Christ, and I'm still alive. But not I, but Christ lives in me. He says, I've given this life that I do live over to Jesus Christ. He died, he rose again, he went back to heaven, he deserves this life that I have. And then he says this wonderful truth, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who drives your car? When you get in, turn the key, push the pedals and turn the, turn the handles, you're the one driving the car. The life that I now live, but he says, Christ lives in me. Because he had given the decision-making process to the Lord. He'd said, Lord, I'll turn the wheel, I'll push the pedals the way you want me to. The life that I live in the flesh, you know, what you got from mom and dad, this body, is all that you've got to live in. You don't get a new spiritual body to walk around in until after you die. But for now, we live in the flesh because we don't have anything else to live in. That doesn't mean we live according to the flesh. It does mean we walk around in this old flesh body. He says, I live it in the flesh by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Three chapters further along in chapter 5 of Galatians, he says this in verse 16. He says, this I say then, walk in the Spirit. Spirit lives in you. When you move one foot, put it in front of the other, and you keep on putting one foot in front of the other and keep on putting one foot in front of the other, do it under the control of God's Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit direct your walk. The Christian life is not sitting, it's not standing, it's, it's putting one foot in front of the other, it's moving on. Walk in the Spirit. Walk under the control of the Spirit. If you do that, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Uh, the flesh lusteth against the spirit. There's these two births, and they're at war with each other, and they're in you. The flesh, the old birth from mom and dad, lusteth against the spirit, 
has got desires that are not in accordance with the Spirit of God in the Bible. The Spirit against the flesh. The Spirit has desires that are not in accord with the old flesh birth and the, what the, the body wants to do, what your old man wants to do. They're after each other. They're against each other, and they're inside you. Uh, an old Indian, American Indian, was exp- expressing this truth one time, and somebody asked him what it was like. He said, it's like two dogs inside me, black dog and white dog, and they're after each other. And he said, well, which one wins? He said, the one I say sick them to. <laughs> it's up to us to choose which one we say sick them to. <sighs> These are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Paul's, again, describing our experience, the way we experience it. Nobody is so spiritual that they don't face a battle with their flesh. Nobody has arrived except when you die or get raptured out of here. When, you, when we all go, we'll be done with the old body. It'll be all different. We'll all be like God's point of view. All things are become new. But until you get rid of the old flesh body, you live with this battle going on. When I was a boy growing up, the boxer's of fame were Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier, George Foreman, those guys, little fellas. And I was a little fella too. I wasn't as big around as I am now. But um, if, if somebody suggested I would get into a boxing ring with, let's say, Muhammad Ali, because he was the greatest, you know, uh, you get in there, um, it would be a very short boxing match. I would become shorter and shorter as he just <laughs> delivers the vertical blow. But um, if Foreman gets in the ring with Ali, you'll have a, a rumble in the jungle. You'll, you'll, it'll go on and on and on. It's a big, evenly matched battle. You want the flesh to be weak and little, and you want the spirit to be strong. So you feed the spirit. You walk in the spirit. You can't be rid of the lust of the flesh, but you keep on making choices according to the Spirit of God, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You're stuck with it, so do the best you can. He says, if you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. So there's a choice that you make. In verse 19, it goes through this list of things that come from walking according to the flesh. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Not a good list. Adultery. I don't need to explain that, but if you're married and you're involved sexually with a person that's not your spouse, that's adultery. Fornication. If you're involved sexually with anybody that's not yourself, married or otherwise, if you're involved sexually with somebody you're not married to, that's fornication. Uncleanness. Again, it's a sexual term, but it has to do with just other vile practices, I think. Lasciviousness. That just means dirty. Like looking at something you're not supposed to have and looking at it and wanting it, lasciviousness. Idolatry. Well, we don't have little statues around that we worship, no. What do you think when you see somebody go past you on the road with a Lexus or a Mercedes and you look at that emblem and you say, oh, that's nice, or an infinity or whatever it is you you particularly think. Maybe it's a, a, a Maserati or something. You see one of those, you notice it because it's it's that's really nice, you know. Idolatry. Hmm. How many of you watched college football yesterday? Uh, huh. Tom didn't. 
Nonetheless, I'm wearing my Florida State colors today. They managed to survive what should have been a blowout. But idolatry, when you give your time to things that are not God. Witchcraft maybe has to do with drug abuse. It's the word pharmakia. Hatred. Wait a minute. I got a little of that going on. Yeah, this is a bad list, and that's in it. Variance, that's what you're fussing with other people that you should be getting along with. Emulations, I really want to be more, I, want, I, I deserve better than, Bob shouldn't be up there, that should be me teaching this class, emulations. You're probably right, but there you are. Wrath. You ever, you ever use the, uh, the I word when you're driving in traffic? and then Somebody turns, you're waiting to turn left, and the guy across the road's, not put his signal on and not put and the light changes and you can't go because he never put his signal on and then he turns left and the i word comes out you idiot <laughs> or i've changed I, I i don't call people idiot anymore i've come up with imbecile but anyway not nice strife seditions that's where you're digging down something that's established and good heresies false doctrines or you make choices different than what the bible says Envyings. Don't you wish you had um, murders, drunkenness, revelings, that's a, too much partying and such like. That's bad stuff. And then the end of the verse, he says, I have also told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh no, I've got some of those things in my current habit of life. Well, that's not your spiritual verse, is it? That's your old man. That's your flesh. Stop walking in the flesh. The flesh, in case you're concerned and not sure, the flesh doesn't go to heaven. The flesh stays here. When you, when you die, you're done with the flesh, and you go to heaven, and you get a new body, or you get raptured out, and you get a new body. The flesh birth doesn't have any part in the kingdom of God, not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the same thing Jesus told Nicodemus. You've got to be born from above. You've got to be born again. You must be born again. And we're going to go back to where we started here and look at verse 17 again. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The new birth is entirely new. None of the old goes into it. And as I said before, I say again, this does not describe our experience, our point of view, but God's point of view. God sees us right now in Christ. In Christ. If you look over at, at Ephesians chapter 1, there's a bunch of places we could have read this. But in Ephesians chapter 1, this is page 1249, verse 3, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. This is, again, God's point of view. Right now, he doesn't see us sitting at 4811 George Road in the second or third or fourth or fifth or sixth pew or on the platform or in the sound. He doesn't see us here. He sees us right now in heavenly places because he sees us in Christ. 
God sees us in Christ. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Reminds me of Enoch, who walked with God, and God says, eh, let's go home. And Enoch said, it's back that way. He said, no, let's go this way. <laughs> and took him home with him. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, we love verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9 say, worth repeating every time, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, being saved. It's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Being saved is the gift of God. And it's not of works, verse 9 says, lest any man should boast. I don't have any claim on God. It is entirely by grace that I am saved. It's God's gift to me. I did have the faith. I believed, and through my faith, by God's grace, I am saved. What? It wasn't just faith in faith. It was faith in Jesus. Saved in faith in Jesus. He's the one you have to believe in for salvation. And God gives salvation as a gift without works. Man, if you could do something to deserve it, it wouldn't be grace. And you'd be proud. But then in verse 10, which we often ought to read and don't, he describes how we are after we have received this great gift of God, his salvation. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Have you thought about yourself that way? This new birth that Jesus told Nicodemus he had to have, this new birth, this birth into the family of God, this birth of God is a new creation. And he created us who are in Christ Jesus for a purpose, good works. We don't do good works to get in Christ Jesus. We do good works because that's God's purpose for us. And when we do good works, it's not the old flesh that does them. It's walking in the Spirit. God has before ordained. He's chosen. We should walk in them. We should walk in good works. That's how he made us. We are his workmanship. We're his poem. We're the thing God did. The word for do, which is a very, very, very common verb in Greek, is poeo. Poeo, it just means do. But when you make it into a noun, you translate it workmanship. We're his poem. That comes from that Greek verb poeo. It's a noun form of it. We're his poem. We're the craft of God. He made us the way. This is our new birth, the poem of God and created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. That's the way you ought to be walking. As it said in Galatians, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let's trip back to Galatians just for a moment in chapter 5. That's over here. Click. And verse 24, a little further along than we went before. Chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 24. This is page 1247. They that are Christ's <coughs> have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. That's getting a hold of God's point of view. He saw your old man on the cross. And you that are behaving by walking in the Spirit, 
are counting your old man the same way God does. You crucified the flesh with its affections and its lusts that were just described back there in verse 17. You remember all that mess? They that are Christ see that the way God sees it. You don't go playing with a dead man. My mentor in my teenage years put himself through college partially by working as an apprentice mortician. He embalmed several people. They were dead, so it was okay. But he embalmed several people. And he was also a football fan. He still is. He said, I never brought my football into the embalming room. And say to the guy on the table, here, catch. He'd never catch it. If he did catch it, he wouldn't throw it back to me. If he did throw it back to me, I wouldn't catch it because I'd be out of there. You know, he's dead. You don't play with a dead man. And that's what Paul is saying here. The old flesh birth, it's dead. Stop playing with a dead man. They're no fun. Live in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. One foot after another, according to the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Now, we have another passage to look at. It's in 1 John chapter... That's not it. I, I messed my bookmark up. It's 1 John chapter 3. It's page 1323. What are you doing? Thank you. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. We'll just jump right on it. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 says this. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his, that would be God's seed, remaineth in him. The flesh, that's born of mom and dad. Dad's seed remains in the flesh. Dad's seed got his seed from Adam. Adam's seed was corrupted by sin. What's born of Adam can't be anything but sinful. We all are sinners because we're charged with Adam's sin. We all are sinners because we got Adam's sin nature because we're born of him. And we're all sinners because we all do stuff. But the one that's born of God does not commit sin. His seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. That's pretty plain. Even if the first verse, the first half of the verse, if it left room for doubt, it doesn't. It says it plainly in the next clause. He cannot sin. Whosoever is born of God cannot sin because he's born of God. Does that sound like your daily experience? No, it sounds like your new birth, doesn't it? Duh. <laughs> he cannot sin. He does not commit sin. If you look at some more so-called modern translations, they have translated this badly using the word practice. They say, oh, it's born of God, does not practice sin, and they'll be explaining, you don't do as much bad stuff as you used to do. It doesn't mean that. It's not talking about more righteous living than you once were. It's talking about you can't sin because they're talking about your new birth. God's point of view, the birth from God, the person who is saved, does not commit sin. And you say, but Bob, I do commit sin. That's the flesh. You still live in the flesh. Don't walk in the flesh. It's a mess. The birth from God doesn't commit sin. God's seed remains in him. He cannot sin because he's born of God. That's that word poeo again. There's another perfectly good Greek word that means practice. It's, it's uh, proso. Sounds a little like practice. Proso means to do continually, do habitually. Poeo 
as a verb means not even one single act. Do. Does not do sin. Doesn't make a single act of sin. Poeo is not practice. Even in the present tense, it doesn't mean he practices. It means he does one time. Whosoever is born of God, there's a negative, does not commit sin. It's a perfect translation of the phrase. And it says why. God's seed remains in you. This birth of God in Jesus Christ gives you the very seed of God. You have God's spirit living in you. You knew that. But we're in God's family because he gave birth to us. He conceived us. He gave us birth. And the seed of God can't sin. The new birth can't sin. The one that's born of God can't sin. It is what it is. It says what it says. It's not to cause you to doubt you're saved. It's to help you be assured when you sin, that wasn't what was born of God. It was your flesh. It was your flesh. We go back to chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians again and look at verse 18. It said in verse 17, the birth from God, it's a new creation. Old things are passed away, all things are become new. There's God's point of view. Verse 18 says, all things are of God. Again, that's not the way it is in this world right now. Have you noticed? Are there some things in this world around us that are not of God? And yet Paul plainly says, all things are of God. This is God's point of view. I got it. Hey, God, do you want me to? No, I got it. <laughs> what are, you, are you taking care? I've got it. I've got the whole thing. <laughs> and this is what God did. He has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And now for the believers, this end of verse 18, he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. God did the whole business of reconciliation. He didn't ask the thief on the cross for a single thing. He didn't say, would you give the rest of your life? <laughs> he didn't say, would you tithe, please? He didn't say a thing to the thief on the cross. He just said, you're on it. I got you. Coming with me. He didn't ask Nicodemus for anything. He said, you got to be born again. If you're born again, good. <laughs> he didn't ask you for anything. If you hadn't believed, you should believe. <laughs> and that's the, the way of it here. All right. So I, I like to dwell on this idea about God being the reconciler. Only he could be the mediator. Right now, the UAW is on strike against all three American car manufacturers. First time they've ever done all three at once. Right now, the, for those that are interested in Hollywood, the actors and the screenwriters guilds, both of those independent unions, are on strike against the producers in Hollywood. They are not reconciled. They are looking for a new agreement, a contract to bring them together. They don't, any of them have it yet. God reconciled me to himself. Job had some understanding about the distance between him and God. And he was, knew he couldn't get himself back to God in verse 32 of Job chapter 9. That's page 575. Job said, he is not a man as I am that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. We can't take the case between me and God up to the judge and say, would you decide which of us gets the right here? 
Verse 33, neither is there any daysman, a mediator between us, somebody that's able to lay his hand upon us both. There you go. They need mediation. They need somebody that can lay their hand on the powerful and the one that can lay his hand on the weak and bring them together. There's not one. Job said there's not one. But there is now. But there is now in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'm in Thessalonians. I grabbed the wrong passage when I set the bookmark. Sorry. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Paul to Timothy, the preacher boy, writes this. He says, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. What Job couldn't find, Jesus was for all mankind. He was the mediator the daysman between God and men that could lay his hand on both. And God did this, he said, he has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Sin was the obstacle, the barrier, the wall we could not get past. Praise God, God has reconciled us. He took the barrier out of the way. The obstacle is overcome. The barrier is removed. The wall is broken down. In verse 19, it says this. Here's how it was that God took away the barrier that reconciled us to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. How could he do that? Jesus took them. Jesus took the payment for our sins. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, we have an advocate, verse 1, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation, the satisfaction. He's our substitute that made the sacrifice. He satisfies God's righteousness. He is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins, and not just for the believers, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. For mankind's sins, God has already been satisfied. He's the propitiation. And then at the very... It says back in 2 Corinthians 5, he's given to us this ministry of reconciliation. It reminded me of this passage in Isaiah. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, that says to Gion, thy God reigneth. God has given to us this privilege that Isaiah spoke about to preach the ministry of reconciliation. We want to let people know you can be reconciled to God. There's so many passages I could go to right now. We're going to have to break it off here, but we'll talk about it more next week. He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20 says, We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. If you're listening to this and you have not received God's gift of the new birth, the new life, all you can do is believe in Jesus. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Believe in Jesus. His dying on the cross was for you. His burial, his resurrection was for you. He took 
the sin, it's out of the way, and he gives his salvation, as Ephesians 2 said, by faith. When you believe in Jesus, you receive God's gift of salvation. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, how rich it is. And we learn and understand better each time we read it. You've given us a new birth into Christ. You see us already in heaven. And we live day by day, choosing like Paul did, to walk in the spirit rather than under the control of the flesh so that we can more effectively share this message of free salvation to anyone who believe in Jesus. Bless each one listening. If there's some who have not trusted Christ, we pray that right now they'll consider this matter. The sin is done. Jesus paid for it. Receive and believe in him, and God gives you a birth into his family. Bless each one listening, Father, and prepare our hearts for the service to follow. In Jesus' name, amen.